Oh man. Again, it's so good. It's good to be here with you guys, and I'm glad that you guys could make it out today. This morning, uh, as our last message, at least here in this house, you know, we'll see what next week brings. Um, but we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And the title of the message is One Body and One Spirit. Uh, this area of scripture has kind of been on my heart a lot lately. And uh, I think it's, it's obviously, obviously applicable to so many things in our, in our lives. But as I got into it, and read it originally i was going to do more chapter four but as I, I kept going over it i think the lord just kept leading me back further and further in ephesians so just going to read through chapters two and three here together this morning i'm not going to comment on them um but let's uh look at those chap- chapters and then we'll get into chapter four and chapter two of ephesians says and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works, and the sons of disobedience, among, I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you are once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, And he came and he preached to you who are far off and to those who are near. For through him we uh, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he has made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Verse 8, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And Lord... God, we are, we are not like you. God, you are all-powerful. God, you are strong. You are wise. You make those who are not, and you call them as though they are. God, you take two things and put them together and somehow make them one. But God, we, we fight and we war. I get angry. I try and get my will to be done out of frustration. And God, that's not like you, and I ask that you forgive me and cleanse me of these things, God. Where we turn against each other and bite each other, would you forgive us? God, would you make us one by your Spirit. Make your church one in a holy way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think as we get into chapter 4, that that is really kind of there for a reason. Because he says, I therefore, in verse 1, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. You know that as soon as we read, therefore, we always have to look back. And as you read back, you keep seeing, for this reason, Therefore, for this reason. So I kind of have to keep going back and going back. But as we start here today, I'm going to ask a personal question. You don't have to answer out loud. And don't, you don't have to look around the room. But what is your body like? Is it fit? Is it firm? Or in my worst Arnold Schwarzenegger voice, is it flobby and weak? How far does it reach? I don't know if you guys had it when you were young, but when I was in elementary school, we had the president's physical fitness test where you had to sit down and do like the long reach, see how far your fingers get past your toes. You had to do like the standing jump and see how far you could jump. And they had all these measurements of, you know, how many things you were supposed to be able to do to be within a normal range of healthy and fit. And, uh, you know, we all would reach certain areas of that. And I wonder, you know, how far does our body extend? When it comes time in need, how much work can our body do? You know, yesterday it was hot out. We were all sweating and burning calories just standing there because it was so hot. And I, did, I was in a rush all day. I had so much to do. I didn't get other things. I needed to run out and do errands. I wasn't able to do that. And I didn't eat all day. I kept drinking. You know, I had fruit snacks or something in the morning. 
I had like a bite of tuna before someone showed up, but I didn't eat Thai Chinese food last night. Man, was it good. <laughs> you know, normally you don't, you, somehow you're hungry after Chinese food. I wasn't hungry after I had Chinese food last night. But man, you know, I, but on a normal day, when I'm not under so much stress or pressure to get stuff done, um, I'll eat more than that. You know, to go the whole day without eating is, is probably not as far as my body can stretch, but obviously my body can do it. But how far does our reach extend? How much weight can we lift? But really, how, how well is our body unified? You know, uh, I think coordination is important in all things. You don't want to be bumbling around. Someone comes into a new job and they're bumbling around and they do it. You know, obviously they're new, so things are going to happen. But after a while, you kind of go, well, maybe this isn't the right job for you. Um, when it comes to friendships, you know, there's always a little awkwardness there at the beginning. But after a while, that awkwardness should go away, or at least you're both equally awkward and you're fine with the awkwardness and you're able to continue. You know, someone, someone who is physically fit is pretty unified in the sense that they have figured out how to get their body under control. You know, that whole high five thing. There's a trick where you look at the elbow and you can high five all the time. I don't know that I've ever had to do that, you know. Or you go to fist bump someone and they give you the whole trailer hitch, you know, like, <laughs> what is that? You know, you kind of missed and messed up. But in sincerity, we desire unity with each other at times, uh, at least with people that we like and we want to be unified with. We give hugs, we give high fives, or there's unity of marriage to where, ah, you know, I want to be unified with this person. And then when that comes to bear fruit, there's children. That the, the, the unity of marriage brings children. Uh, you know, if everything is in working order. But there's also teamwork. I don't know if you ever had to do one of those team building exercises. I remember orientation in high school. We had to like walk on a log and help each other do these things. And uh, at one job I worked with, we did a, an escape room in the city and we really had to come together as a team to figure out these problems. And sometimes they can be fun and sometimes they can be forced. Uh, but I think it's good for, uh, you know, sometimes the work atmosphere to have that friendliness there as well because if you're friends with people you're more likely to be willing to help them out and do work with them you know obviously lines get drawn at work when you, when you don't mesh personally and then all of a sudden it turns into a work problem it's like well you know it's work it shouldn't be so personal sometimes but you want to be unified with your boss with your peers and those you manage you know it just works out better that way you know you're not wasting money you're getting stuff done but this verse, Psalm 127, 4 through 5, says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. That, in a sense, your body only reaches so far. And then if you're able to have children, whether it's spiritual offspring or actual physical offspring, or they're adopted or whatever it is, you train them up. And they're able to go farther than you in a good place. And it's interesting that the world today is, is mad at people who were able to go farther than their parents because their parents gave them a good upbringing or gave them an education or gave them an inheritance. Like somehow that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. I think sometimes we're just bitter and jealous that we don't have an inheritance or that we weren't afforded these things, but there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's good. We should be living in a, a, a heritage to our children. But really, we're only gonna go so far in this life. There's only so long you and I are gonna walk in this world and we're going to leave a legacy, whether we like it or not. Um, you know, that where we're moving in Montana is so out of our league. You know, God hooked it up. But the name of the street is Legacy, it's legacy Loop. You know, you've made all your money. You've retired to Legacy Loop. You know, you've built your house out there. And I get to rent it. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks for leaving that legacy. But sincerely, what's the most important legacy that we're going to leave? And how do we leave it? Is it just physical fitness? 
is Arnold, you know, I see Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's been so buff his whole life. I saw something recently where his health is starting to fail him and that's got to be frustrating because he's been like a peak of like human performance. I mean, obviously he's not, you know, Usain Bolt, the fastest runner, but image-wise, he's sort of what our society idolizes. But 1 Timothy 4, 8, and 9, and this is not my rationalization for not going to the gym, but he says, For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Paul says, yeah, it's, it's good to be physically fit. It's all right to be healthy and seek after healthy things, but it's not as important as godliness. And I think it's interesting that in a society that's so obsessed with physical health, we're so lost in spiritual health. We're so out of shape uh, spiritually and morally. Um, and I think that's telling. You know, well, is it financial security and prosperity? Well, we know the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 10-12, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Paul says people have sought after riches, and it's like they put knives through themselves. They put you know, arrows, they put spears through themselves trying to get riches. They've hurt their families. They've hurt their children. They've hurt their friendships. You know, because it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, right? In order to climb that ladder, you've got to kick someone else out of the way, right? Nine times out of ten. And if it's not pushing someone else out of the way, it's pushing God out of the way. Look at the people who are so uh, successful in the world, and it's coming out now how morally corrupt they are. Because in order to get to that position of power, they've had to corrupt themselves. And as they've gotten that corruptness, they've then used it and, and given themselves over to it. But he says, but you, O man of God, or woman of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you are also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, because riches fade. Glory fails. Companies go under. We see it all the time. You know, 20 years ago, you tell someone that a mall, 10 years ago, that a mall wouldn't, be a good place to open a business anymore say you're nuts i'm gonna build a whole mall now you're like well you know maybe you should have bought stock in amazon you know not that there's anything wrong with being rich abraham was rich job was rich god is rich and we're all relatively rich to someone else in life you spend a couple minutes and look around the world and look at true poverty you go even the homeless people here are richer than a lot of poverty people i'm not trying to put down the the plight of the homeless but i'm saying we're all really rich if we think about it um but it says that those who seek after it are pierced through. You know, you think about getting into debt, you get stuck to something, you're in debt to something. But you can only serve one master. It's either God, or really, you know, it's, Jesus says in Mammon, it's worldly riches, but why would you serve that? It's because you want what you want, and I want what I want. And that's the whole theory of evolution, right? That it's survival of the fittest, that if I'm stronger, I'm gonna beat you up, and I'm gonna take what you have so that I survive and get what I want. Well, that law might exist, but that is the, the way the world works under sin, not under grace. And the legacy we leave as believers should be one of holy unity. Number one, with God. You know, your life, if it's unified with God, everything else will work out. If your life is unified with God, well, number two will happen. You will begin to be unified with others. That doesn't mean you always agree. That doesn't mean you do everything they want, but it means that there's a spirit of unity there. You know, Jesus said the sum of the commandments in Matthew 22. Um, a, a new, uh, and also John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
As I have loved you, as you also should love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. That's the deepest thing. When people see that you love other believers, that you love other people, that's the evidence that you're a disciple. Not the Christian bumper sticker, not the Christian shirt, not the, not the amount of Bibles you have, not the amount of Bible knowledge you have, but is there love and true love, not worldly love, but agape love in your life? And that's a whole other study that uh, we won't go down today. But do we love one another as believers, as the church? I know we say it. I know we might have it up on our wall. Ashley took down all the paintings, so I can't, get, I can't call myself out for the <laughs> verses on the wall. I'm not obeying, right? But do we really? Let's look again at Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You know, verse 20 says, I therefore, you know, that's why we kind of look back, but he says, because of all this stuff we talked about, the unity that comes between God and man, uh, Jews and Gentiles, all those even uh, in Christ, Paul says that he was brought to the Lord and that uh, he becomes the prisoner of the Lord. And I like that saying, prisoner of the Lord. I don't like the idea of going to jail for Jesus, like Paul said. You know, Paul was in jail. Why? Not because he committed a crime, but because he was serving the Lord. And we see even now, as interesting, I was showing me a video last night of this guy in Britain. He's not a believer, but he's speaking out against some of the things that the government is doing and bringing to light some of the atrocities that are going on. And they arrested him for making a video, just making a news report for something that's going on about a trial because the government doesn't like what he's saying. They say he's inciting violence. Hmm. Don't think it, you know, there's a reason why we have the First Amendment, guys. The reason why we have the Second, because this is what happens when the government doesn't like what you have to say. But anyway, the government didn't like what Paul had to say. The people didn't like what Paul had to say because Paul spoke the truth, the most important truth. You know, I, I, I was talking with a, f- a friend last night and we were talking about making decisions. And I go like, you know, I just tell, I say to the Lord, you know, I don't want to make any decisions anymore. Like, don't give me a choice. Just, please just give me one path to walk through. You know, if we're not prisoners physically, I hope that we would be prisoners spiritually to the Lord. That Lord, when, when you open up my cell door in the morning, I just come out and I go to get grub and then I go out in the yard and I pump iron for you, Lord. And then I go back in, you know, that like, I don't, you know, I don't want to make a joke out of prison because it's not a joke. But sincerely, if I'm God's prisoner, I don't get to make a decision. God says, go here, I go there. God says, do that, I do that. And it should be a joy to me because I'm not a slave to sin. I get to be a slave to the one who's righteous and more of that to the one who loves me. It'd be one thing just to be a slave to someone who's good, but they have no care for you personally. But God cares for you personally. It says, I beseech you. And it's interesting that word beseech is parakleo because it's similar to what uh, the Greek word paraclete is for the Holy Spirit. That parakleo means to call to one side, to call for, to summon, to admonish, to exhort, to beg, to entreat, to beseech, to console, to encourage, or to strengthen or comfort. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes alongside us and then leads us to the Lord and then He comes inside of us and He helps us through life. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's like, I beseech you. I come beside you. I kneel down. I'm begging you. Please, 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 please 
walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Because when we're divided, don't we need comfort? Marriage counseling. <laughs> There's division. So they go to find comfort and counsel because they're not comforting each other, they're fighting. And that happens, you know, we all go through seasons of, of ebb and flow, but sincerely, we need comfort. We need to be strengthened, instruct, uh, instructed, and taught. But as Paul says that we need to walk worthy of this vocation with which we are called, it's not a job. This word vocation is klesis. It doesn't mean come, get some money, you know, walk worthy of the calling. God's given you a paycheck. You should be a good boy and girl this year. It's not Santa Claus. It's a calling to a feast, an invitation, this word klesis. This vocation, this calling that God has on your life, he's invited you to, to a feast. He's invited you to heaven. He's invited you to eat and drink of his body and his blood. And our spiritual work, our spiritual job, is the one we should be most concerned about. I have a job. My career is not where it would be if I wasn't following the Lord. I would have pursued it in different ways. Maybe I wouldn't have a career at all. Maybe I wouldn't be able to hold a job without the Lord. But I know that my primary job is my calling. And it's not a job. I don't care if I ever get paid for it. In fact, sometimes I don't want to get paid for it. Paul, you, know, you look in the Bible, you see Paul goes, I'm glad we didn't accept money from many of you. Because I know that if Jesus died on the cross for me, why, why should I seek a paycheck? I should seek to get the gospel out. And that's the only thing I can do. You know, I like doing graphic design. I like doing computers. But if I never did it again, I was able to make money not doing it, I'd be fine with that. I, you know, if you, I never had to hook up a printer again. That's my mom. She knows I'm not always happy when I have to do that, right? But, like, sincerely, I, I've wanted to do other things. I plead with the Lord, can I do other things? And I know that this is the only thing that I can do. Rise or fall, success or fail, this is the only thing I can know I can do in the Lord from what he's done for me. But our spiritual job is the one that should dictate every step in our life. That our calling to heaven, our calling to the feast, should be the thing that says, this is where you walk, this is the decision you make, this is where you step, this is what you accept, this is what you don't accept, this is what you pursue, this is the type of relationship you're in. Because if we're going to heaven, just like we're going to Montana and we have to get rid of stuff because we know we're not going to make it there if there's too much in the trailer, or we know, you know something's going to have to go and it's not the kids, you know. So the kids are coming, I'm coming, Ash is coming, you know, TV's coming. But... You know, <laughs> But sincerely, you know, the other things, we, we can get other ones up, you know? Like as far as size and weight, right? it's like, okay, well, this is this big, but it's only worth $3, I'll buy another one. Or this is this big, and it's worth X amount of dollars, I'll keep it. You know what I mean? If it's that important to get to Montana, how much more should it be to heaven? We should look at our lives and go, well, it's this big. I have this huge thing in my life, but it's worth squat. Get rid of it. Get something else because it's going to keep you from getting there. And again... What's the primarily calling in our life? It's not a job. It's an invite to a feast. That man, I'm, I'm feasting on this as, as we go through it. It should not be a burden. If it burdens you, I have to wonder, is it an invite to a feast? Or are you being bound up? Are you being the one who's going to be feasted on? I don't know. You know, They tie him up and barbecue you. I don't know. But are you ever burdened by an invite to a party? Well, one you don't want to go to, right? <laughs> oh man, I have to go to that work function, you know? Oh, so and so invited me? Uh, you know? But what does God say? He went out and he invited everybody, and everyone made up excuses. I got this to do, I got that to do. And he said, all right, we'll go invite the people on the highways and byways. There's a God's having a party, and I have to wonder if we're burdened by it, what party are we living for? 
But your calling should be the root of your service and your service should naturally flow out of your calling. Like if your calling is to uh, evangelize, it's gonna nat- your life is naturally in the Lord gonna be evangelistic, you know? But it might take some work to do. You know, uh, in Luke 9, 57, you can read it later, but it's, Jesus calls them to fo- people to follow him and they have other reasons and he's like, don't worry about it. Come follow me and all that will be taken care of, you know? Um, because Jesus was straightforward. He pulled no punches when it came to inviting people to heaven, when it came to getting people on the right way back to God. He didn't beat around the bush. He said, get right. He said, no, there's no playing around. It's this way or it's that way. You're either for me or you're against me. And no matter what you leave behind, no matter what you had to neglect in the world's eyes, in others' eyes, in your friends' eyes, or in your family's eyes, they have to play second fiddle. They have to not exist in comparison to the calling of Jesus in your life. And it's not the calling that you idolize, but it's the fact that Jesus is calling you. If you know, It's like when you're in love with someone and they call you, you put everything down and you pick it up. You know, when the, the tax collector calls you, you go, uh, voicemail, <laughs> changing my phone number. Because you're not in love with them or what they have to say to you either. Or the idea of giving over your money to some government agency because of these, you know what I mean? But when someone you love calls you, like, oh yeah, I'll meet you anytime you want to meet. Let's go. Because you care for them. But what is our calling primarily? It's to follow him. That's all Jesus wants from you. He doesn't want you to do anything. He doesn't want you to say anything. He doesn't want you to make anything. He just wants you to be with him. He just wants you walking side by side with him. And, and as you begin to do that, you will say things. You will do things. You will make things because he's the one who's doing it. You know, I, bring, I probably brought up the story a lot, but I remember as a little boy, my dad mowing the lawn in Florida, and I'd go out you know, with my toy lawnmower and mow with him. That was it. I just wanted to be with my dad. And it looked like I was mowing the lawn, but you know, it, a lady was looking for a lawnmower yesterday, and all I said, I, I have a toy lawnmower, but that's not going to work. And James goes, what'll work for a toy lawn? You know? <laughs> like... Sincerely, like, God just, we're not really mowing the grass when we're out there spiritually. God's the one doing the work. We just get to go along and and be with our dad. So if my calling is to follow him, and your calling, obviously, is to follow him, why are we not together? Why are we not unified? Well, maybe we don't believe the same things. Maybe we don't believe or behave the same way. The Bible says we must. You know, Jesus' half-brother James was not unified with Jesus until after the resurrection. He realized, whoa, my half-brother was God. I used to make fun of him. I used to steal his Cheerios in the morning. You know, like, he began to realize, you know, who God was and is. And uh, I won't read it for the length of time, but you know, at James 4, 1 through 12, he says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires to pleasure? Uh, that war in your members. You lost, you do not have. You murder, cover, you cannot obtain. You fight in war, you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you spend it on yourself. And he goes on. Why do we fight? Well, because I want what you have or I want it instead of you. Why do we haggle over a price? Well, because I want more money than, than you want to give me and you don't want to give me as much money. You want, you want to get what I have for less money than it's worth. You know, we begin to fight over these things. It's not that there's wrong with anything with haggling or making a deal. But when it comes to spiritual things and the things of the Lord, there should be no haggling. There should be, okay, 
Let me, let me serve you and serve the Lord. Well, then how do we walk worthy of, of the calling? And James ends with, who are you to judge another? And a lot of us is just, ju we judge each other like all too often. Like, you're not doing what you should be doing. Well, what are you doing? And if they're not doing what they should be doing, how much help are you giving them to do what they should be doing? You know, Galatians 5.20, if you see a brother who's overtaken in a fault, you are spiritual, restore such a one. Well then, how do you walk worthy of the calling? Do you just go out and get new fancy shoes? Well, kind of, but it's a different way of doing things. It's a way of doing things that is foreign to the flesh. The flesh is all about fighting. The flesh is all about now, now, now. Grab, grab, grab. I mean, look at it. You could sit on the couch, you know, in your gym shorts at 3 o'clock in the morning and buy something and it's at your doorstep pretty much the next day. You can get what you want when you want it these days. If that's not the flesh, you wonder why they make so much money. It's because your flesh loves it. I don't have to do anything and I get everything. But verse 2 through 3, let's read that again. It says, With all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, it says, With all lowliness, that having a humble opinion of oneself, how, how often do we really have a humble opinion of ourselves? We think we're great all the time, right? We think we look better than we do. We think we act better than we do. We think we're smarter, wiser, worth more money than we are. It means to have a deep sense of one's moral littleness. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. Wait, Paul, the apostle? Paul realized that, man, he sinned. And he should be the one who's not saying it at all, but he realized this sin is deep. And who's going to save him? But Jesus Christ. That there's nothing in Paul that was good. There's nothing in you and I that is good. Save Jesus. Modesty. Selfies. Humility. Lowliness of mind. How often we're taught or we think it's bad to be a little down and out. The Bible says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For the by it, the heart is made better. It's okay to be, have lowliness of mind. It's okay to think of yourself less than you ought. Not to beat yourself up or put yourself down in an ungodly way, but to realize I'm, I'm dirt. And that's okay. You're dirt too. And we can be dirt together. and That's fine. Gentleness. The word is meekness. She said the meek will inherit the earth, right? Gentleness, mildness. As a New Yorker, I'm not that mild. That probably needs to get stripped out of me way quick. You know, things, things are different in the West. But we need to be mild, gentle, that when we interact with each other, it doesn't come off like it does so often. It's, it's gentle. Or long-suffering. Man, <laughs> I think that's a good word because we think patience. We're like, oh, patience. Oh, yeah, it's patient. But think about the DMV. That's long-suffering. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going shopping with your wives, guys, you know? <laughs> long-suffering. Or my wife waiting for me to get ready in the morning. It's long-suffering. But patience, endurance, constancy. How constant are we with each other? How quickly do we give up on each other? Even in the church. Perseverance. How often do we persevere with each other in church? Well, you made it one mistake. That's it. I'm done. Forbearance. I love this. Slowness and avenging wrongs. God is our judge and our avenger, right? And how come we have to go out and write that email and prove to everyone that we're not wrong? Why can't we just let God handle it and continue to love that person and not try and prove our spiritual worth to them? Bearing one another, that means to hold up, to hold oneself erect and firm, to sustain, to bear, to endure. 
I think of Moses. When Joshua was fighting the battle, Moses had to keep his hands up, but his hands were tired, and so Aaron and Hur came along and held his arms up. And how much do we hold each other's arms up when the burden is heavy? How quickly do we get tired and say, oh, it's your problem. <laughs> oh, Don't even pray for the person. Let alone actually go over to their house or bring them a meal or text them or get them a card or whatever it is. Like, man, even in the church we go, okay, I spent five minutes with you. That's enough for this year. Myself included. It says, but all this is in love. And the word here is agape. That's God's love. It's not human affection. It's not worldly desire. Oh, I think you're attractive, so I'm going to help you out. You know, girls, you got to watch out when a guy's trying to help you. You know, I'll tell you why he's trying to help you later. I love this. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, that we must endeavor. I don't know if you guys remember the space shuttle. There's one called Endeavor. Because going to outer space is an endeavor. It's an undertaking. Going to Montana is one thing. Going to New Jersey, that's an endeavor I don't like to take. But sincerely, it's a lot of work. You've got to put a lot of rocket fuel in that thing to get it up there to beat gravity. They've got to put on suits. They've got to go through training, all these things to get to outer space. And the word endeavor is to hasten, to make haste. Do it quick. But you have to exert oneself and be diligent about it. And the, and the exerting, you have to keep being exerting to do it. You've got to keep pushing that rock up the hill. You've got to keep going forward because it's endeavor. And I don't think we think of unity as an endeavor sometimes. I think we think it's just going to happen. If it doesn't happen naturally, well, then it's not going to happen. And I don't need to put any effort. So let's just go be unified with someone else. And I have to say that a lot of times we're unified with people because they're like-minded with us. And, and that's a good thing. But sincerely, it's not the best thing because anyone can do that. I mean, the Bible says that if even unbelievers, you know, are like friendly with other people who are friendly with them. Like, there's no, like, there's nothing special about that. But it says we must work hard. We must be fast, be diligent, do all things to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's interesting. We must work hard to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit because it doesn't just happen. I mean, sometimes it magically does, like I said. And sometimes it takes work. And when it's by God's Spirit, they're both equally a miracle. But we must work at it. We must fight for it. Just like you'd fight for your marriage or for your children. Or for your job, maybe. We must war against the wars in us that James talks about. Against the wars in others and the wars between each other. Because Ephesians 6.12, lest we forget, says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And it goes on talks about needing the armor of God from there. Because the enemy wants nothing more than to split the church. And I think a lot of times the enemy has to do very little to do that. To come between a spouse, to come between a family. You know, Ashley and I were like, at, at wit's end the other day because we're just so stressed so many different things to do and it was so quickly that the enemy could come in there it's like we hadn't fought in like a year and I'm sorry for calling you out babe but like we had a spat and it was like it wasn't like name calling or anything but it's like we like yelled at each other and it's like I was so like grieved over it after like man like what is that like how little it took like just to get us not unified on something like so ridiculous should take more effort than that should take a lot more effort than that Because when unity takes effort, the glory to God becomes effortless. 
Because when we're unified, God is automatically gloried. When we're not unified, very quickly, God gets the shame. People look on and see the church divided and go, I don't want that, or what kind of God do you serve? But when they're unified, they go, what on earth? Because it's a heavenly thing. Because unity, you know, you work in the world, you've seen government, unity is like, they're faking it. UN, political correctness, it's not unity. It's not. Unity, unanimity, agreement. We need to agree with each other, even as it's been said, to agree to disagree at times. Because the question then becomes, who is the church? Who is in the spirit? And who is this people that we should be unified with? You know, because there's a difference, a distinction. It must be with true believers. We can't be unified with everybody. We can't put the coexist bumper sticker on our car. Because go ask the coexist person if they'll coexist with you. If you believe but they don't believe, they won't coexist with you for too long, I don't think. But it must be a distinction. It must be those who call on the name of Jesus and no other. Just because it looks like that's a church of Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ, two doors down, they're not believers. They believe in a cult. I hate to say it, but I think a lot of times we lump Catholics in with Christianity. But if you step back and look at it and go, I think that's more of a cult. I don't know that that's a denomination when you worship Mary and you have idols. and I don't know that we would afford the same things to Mormons that we do to Catholics. Just saying. Not trying to start a fight. Because we cannot be 100% unified with everyone. We can't, obviously can't with the world. The world's going a completely different direction. So to be unified with them would be enmity with God, as the Bible says. We cannot with sin. Because if we're sinning, obviously we don't understand grace. We don't understand forgiveness. We don't understand the cross. And we're separated from God. So we're obviously not unified with him. And we cannot with those who claim Christ but are not of him, like I said. But on the other side, just because we don't see eye to eye on every single aspect of Scripture with another believer or their practice does not mean that we, can, that we can't still be unified. Because if we have the same God, we have the same Lord, we have the same calling, the same destination, perhaps we just see things a little differently. Perhaps we're wrong and they're right. Perhaps they're wrong and, and we're right about things that, that aren't that important at the end of the day. Obviously, it's all important. We want to have the best understanding of Scripture we have. I'm not trying to say, you know, believe whatever you want about the Bible. It's okay. But I'm saying, like, well, you know, they like drums in church and you don't. They think dancing is wrong. And you say, well, David danced. Are the salvation issues? No, because you'll both be dancing in heaven. <laughs> you know, like, just get over it. Get over it. Sometimes we just see things from different angles. Calvinists, Arminianists, well, it's kind of both. Kind of predestined, but you kind of also made a choice. I don't know how it works. Both are taught in the Bible. We can't ignore it. However, like I said, cults are not Christian. We can't be unified with those who are not unified with God. And many have erred on the flip side, trying to bring unity at the cost of the Spirit and the Word and truth. We can't just be unified just for the sake of unity. But when we seek to glorify God, that unity will come. Because denominations, they're not found in the Bible. Look for it. Find a denomination in the Bible. In fact, if you look in 1 Corinthians 3, you see Paul uh, says, uh, I'm going to skip it down to verse uh, 4. He says, For one, one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? 
Are you not in the flesh? Are you not being not spiritual? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Yeah, you grew up in this church, but you go to this church now. Well, God used that church, and God used this church, and these people, and these ministers. But guess what? His spirit was working there, just like it is here. Because denominations are man splitting the church based on man's ideas of what the scripture says, and not what the actual scripture says. Nine times out of ten. First Baptist, second Baptist. What happened? <laughs> Why is it just Baptist? Well, we were first, and they were second. I don't know. Maybe it's to a personality, a following, a teaching. And these branches are not necessarily there for good. You know, there are seven lampstands in Revelation. There are 12 tribes in Israel, so there are differences. And these differences can be good and can be right and holy. I'm not saying we have to all be have the same name on the door other than Jesus. There's seven ages of the church. These things have always been. But Jesus says in Matthew 13, 31 and 32, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Well, birds of the air. Birds in scripture are not a good thing. Usually they're a sign of sin and evil and, and Satan's messengers come and pluck the seeds up off the side of the ground, right off the side. And it shouldn't have grown that large. It's weird. There shouldn't be so many branches. And what do all those branches, those divisions, those separations give room to? Birds. Sin. Evil. Messengers of the enemy. They come and they nest there. False doctrine. Sin. Worldliness. All live in the branches of the church. Where's the glory to God? Where's the service, the love, the ministry, the fruit? Perhaps that's eaten up by the birds. And we only think we're doing something great because we're just feeding the bird that's on our branch instead of being unified and being a stronger branch that bears fruit. Jesus in, Matthew 11, in Mark 11, you can read it later, but he sees the fig tree not bearing fruit and curses it. He says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then the next day they'll walk by and go, the tree's withered. Man, God comes to the church and doesn't find a fig to eat. I know it's a picture of Israel, but in some way you can stretch it that God comes to our church and comes to the church and doesn't find anything good. Branch should be cast in the fire. Because faith should lead to praying for things to happen. Because Jesus says at the end there, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Because when you're praying for God to act, and you remember that there's something unforgiven, it must be dealt with first. You, want, you have faith that God's going to do something, you begin to pray about it, and then you realize that there's unforgiveness and a division over unforgiveness? That should never be. Maybe you both go separate ways afterwards, Paul and you know Barnabas, Paul and Mark, and eventually they came back. But man, it must be dealt with. And I'd, I dare to say that there are branches where there should have been bows, and there are bows where there should have been trunks because there was unforgiveness. Now, I'm not saying there should be healthy division. Obviously, the, the cells in our bodies divide. That's how we go from one cell to a whole body and you grow through your whole life. Childbirth, growing up, leaving and cleaving, getting married, cutting off something that is bad, getting a bad tooth extracted, having an amputation or a surgery that's needed to remove something bad. These are good divisions and these should be. But I think in the church, all too often we jump to judgment 
because we haven't kept the unity of spirit. We're so borderline disunified that as soon as any excuse to cut, e cut each other off comes up, we cut each other off. We've warred and we've lusted after our own kingdoms. I want my branch to be the most prominent branch. How dare you start a church across the street from me? I like, they want to do a Bible study? Fantastic. Maybe 10 people will show up. Why? I mean, I get that there's a problem. Sometimes you go to the south and there's a church in every corner and they're all dead. But sincerely, between here and Price Chopper, you could probably have five churches and there'd still be un unreached people. So, like, why are we so territorial? I get it in some sense. I, I'm not saying that it's all wrong. You want to have order and measure and certain oversight, obviously, but I don't know sometimes. I think sometimes it's more kingdom building than it is personal kingdom building than it is heavenly kingdom building. Again, because just because something is different doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because you have a different color skin and different color hair or different accent doesn't make you wrong. It just makes you different. The difference is good. And just because God isn't using you to do it doesn't mean that God isn't doing it. A lot of times I think we think, well, like, I didn't know about it, so it can't be God. Or I want to be used by God, but I'm not being used by God. He starts using you. Well, that can't be it because he would use me. Because no way. In Mark 11, I'm sorry, uh, in John 21, uh, Jesus tells uh, Peter to feed his sheep. And he says, uh, later on, he says, Most surely I say to you, when you were younger, you gird yourself and walked where you wish. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry where you do not wish. He was saying, What well, death would glorify God in Peter's life? And Peter turns around and goes, What about John? And God goes, What does it matter to you if John's alive till I come back? And then they all go, well, like, well, I guess that means John's going to be alive till they totally missed the point. It's like, God's going to do something with you, God's going to do something different with someone else. Don't be so worried about what God's doing with someone else. Just be diligent to the vocation with which you were called. You know, it doesn't mean that everything different is good. No, I'm not saying that. Just because someone says it's a work of God doesn't mean that it is. No, I'm not saying that either. But I think we ought to think more about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit than looking for ways to cut each other apart. And this is all held up in the bond of peace. It's interesting that Paul is a prisoner, and this word is very it's similar to that. It's not the same. But it's more about the ligaments, which the members of the human body are united together. That ligament is a bond. It keeps your muscles together on your bones. And that's the same bond that the Spirit will give us. And I think it's an interesting picture, right? Because we're the body of Christ. We should be unified together with our ligaments. You know, the Republicans and Democrats cross the aisle. And you see how long that unity lasts. But it's another thing when we're unified in the Holy Spirit because it's bound and it's wrapped up in peace. When we're, we're lacking peace, Probably because there's not unity. Let's go on and, and we'll finish as quickly as we can here. Verse 4 it says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You know, there's one body. It's the church. Just as we have one body and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, when Holy Spirit-filled people come together, that's the church. And who dwells in that? Jesus. And then he's able to actually do things because the body is unified. You know, uh, people who get sick and have Parkinson's or other disease, their body starts to fight against it. Or you have an autoimmune disease it starts to attack your own body. You can't do the things you, you could anymore. You're not going to beat Usain Bolt in a race. But when we're unified, we're able actually to go out and do things for God. And we're not just stuck on our branch. One spirit. You know, the real, do you realize that the same Holy Spirit that is in you is in me? 
Same Holy Spirit in Billy Graham and Paul and Calvin is in you. More than that, the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus is in you. Same Spirit that came down and lighted on him, it's in you. I think sometimes our own spirit gets in the way because we say, well, no, you can't be. Well, do they believe in Jesus? You know, it's, it's Ephesians says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That, that man, when we're full of God, we're one with each other. We have one Lord. We all have the same master, do we not? And the Bible says, uh, not to judge uh, the servant of, an, of another master. That's like, how often do we just judge someone? Like, yeah, Paul calls out people who are wrong, wronging the gospel. But he also says, man, there's people out there preaching gospel for the wrong reasons. But I rejoice because the gospel is going out. God will deal with it. God will sort it out. If they're not teaching heresy, if they've got a bad motive, you know, how often do we have bad motives when we do things and God doesn't strike us down? You know, people get saved under Joel Osteen. I don't know how, but God's gracious and hopefully they'll grow up and move somewhere healthy. But sincerely, it's on Joel to do the right thing or not. You know, just like it is on you and me. There's one faith. Do you believe in Jesus for your salvation? And I believe in Jesus for salvation? not a different faith. It's the same faith. And when we say that, but do we act it? Like I said, just because you sing hymns and I prefer electric guitar, it's not the same faith that sings the hymn, that plays the riff. One baptism. They went under, you went under, they came up, you came up. Both identify with Jesus, right? One God and Father of all. You know, if he's my dad and he's your dad, I think sometimes we fight like siblings, and that's probably some evidence that we are have the same father, but I think it's better if we're unified. Because I think sometimes we tend to think we each have the corner on the market in Christianity. You know, my church does it perfect, and your church better. Get up to speed the way my church does it. Now, if your church is unholy, and your church is dead, that's a different story. But man, just because you teach the Bible and they do topical doesn't mean that you're holier than they are. You've got a better corner on the market. I mean... Because why? We're not the corner. He's the cornerstone. Do more like us. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. We can't copyright it if it's something that Jesus did. And I think sometimes we want to put our own name on it. This is my spin on how to do Christianity. No. Let's see what God's way of doing it is. Because let's not make God in our image. Let's be made more into his likeness. And we do that in unity. Above all and through all and in you all. Do we always get everything right? No. I think if we looked at other believers with more loving eyes, more gracious eyes, if we looked at ourselves and realized that, man, we're, we are lowly. We aren't as special. Uh, God thinks we're special, but we're not you know, God's gift to the world as we think we are sometimes. We might look at our brothers and sisters and might reach out to them. We might care for them. You know, because think about a small town that doesn't let any outsiders and they just breed with each other over years and years. Eventually, you know, it gets kind of sick. It's the same thing if, if we're not seeing how someone else worships the Lord or follows the Lord or we read books by people who maybe not of our, aren't of our denomination. You know, we can get very myopic. We can get sick. You know, music, books, and theology. You know, one church maybe has got worship down, but their doctrine is, whew, could use some work. I mean, yeah, you've got some great doctrine, but your worship lacks a lot of heart. What if you guys started hanging out more? Maybe their doctrine would get better and your worship 
you know, get better. I don't mean necessarily the music would be better, but I mean maybe be more willing to open your heart to the Lord. But no, instead we cut each other off. Say they can't be right because they don't do it like we do. Well, is God not working there? You know, we don't always want to throw out the, the baby with the bathwater. You know, it's dysfunctional. And Jesus isn't glorified in that. The kingdom isn't advanced when our unity isn't there. And I'm going to read a couple of verses and we're going to close. Uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Jesus in John 17, 20-23 says, I do not pray for these alone. He's praying for uh, in the garden. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you love me. That's where God says that's the glory. The glory that he gives us is unity. is a holy unity. Granted, there are times when we can't be unified because the holiness isn't there. There has to be a measure of holiness for there to be unity. But we have to remember that we're not perfect. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And God, we ask um, for that glory that comes from unity, not that we would be glorified, but that God, in our unity, you would be glorified. That God, people would come to believe in your Son, Jesus. Because we're unified around Jesus. When we war and we fight, people don't see you. When we love and we care for each other in a holy way, a right way. God, help us, Lord. We're not capable of doing our own. Help us to fight for it, endeavor for it. But God, it's got to be by your Spirit. You've got to do the work. You've got to bring healing and forgiveness. Help us to forgive those who have hurt us. And not just say we forgive them, but to forget it and treat them like it never happened. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Have your way, Lord, we pray. Be lifted up, be glorified, and come soon, we ask. And may you find faith on the earth when you return. In Jesus' name, amen.